I want to very quickly do a, a very, very brief review of where we have been over the last two weeks. We started two weeks ago and then last week with a phrase that I heard from Graham Cook. If you've never listened to Graham Cook, I would encourage you to. He's a tremendous minister, evangelist, and, and a blessing. He made this statement, you can't pierce the darkness until you clear up the gray areas in your own life. You can't pierce the darkness. You cannot let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and know God. You cannot do that until you clear up the gray areas in your own life. And there are surprisingly many, many gray areas. We talked about those gray areas that would include, you know, does God speak and does he speak to me? If you're uncertain about that, it will be very hard to run against the gates of hell. If you're uncertain about your full relationship with Jesus Christ, it will be very hard. If you don't know who we are as sons and daughters of God, then it will be very hard to run against the darkness. So we talked about that for a little bit. And then, but two weeks ago, we talked about one of the key areas, gray areas that has to be cleared up first. And that very first gray area is we have to know how God feels about us. We have to know with a certainty how God feels about us because if we have any hesitation about what he's thinking about me, is he approving of me, does he like me, all those very small things, if we don't get clear on those, we will not run with authority against the gates of hell. So we talked at length about what it means to begin to believe about ourselves, those things that God would say. And I use the illustration of talking to the children around here, talking to my grandkids. I'll hold them, and I'll begin to go down this list and say, you're amazing. Dorothy, this morning, you're, a, you're beautiful. You're filled with goodness and kindness and blessing and love and patience and virtue and honor and integrity. We say those things because at this age, they still believe us. They don't have all the voices of the world and of others coming against them, telling them other things. So as little children, they look us in the face and they believe everything that we say about them. How strange it would be if we would just take a moment and sit in God's lap, our Father's lap, and let Him speak to us truth about ourselves. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear those words? Because if I can say those things to these children around here, whether they be in my office or our home or with our grandkids, if I'm able to do that out of an imperfect love and an imperfect heart that I have, I wonder what it would sound like coming from the perfect love of a father. How strange it would be for us to ever believe about ourselves those things that God would say. For him to say, Helen, you're beautiful. You amaze me. You're so kind. You're so generous. You're so patient. You're filled with goodness and courage and joy and peace. And for us to sit there and look into his face and believe him, how much it would change about our world, about our life around us, if we would simply turn off the voices of the world and pay attention to the one face, the one place we could look and hear the truth. And again, we said, we asked this question, who knows us better than anybody else? What would we say? God. So why would we not listen to him when he begins to speak to us and tell us the truth about who we are? How drastic life change it would create. And then last week we talked about the second gray area that needs to be cleared up. The first was how God sees us. The second gray area is how we see God. 
Because most of us see him as a little bit angry, a little bit hard to please, a little bit disappointed in us, a little bit frustrated at us. And I want to tell you, if you have any thoughts about God that have those things connected to it, I want to tell you that is not God. He is not disappointed in you. He is not frustrated at you. He's not anxious over the things that he sees you do. Because if it was, if he had that reality about himself, he would be reacting to us, which would strangely mean that I have more power over the situation than he does. And we talked last week about how we got here, how we got to this strange view of God. Most of us have formed our view of God. What we think about him, how we feel about him, most of us have developed that by starting with a man, a good father or a good man. We start down here with all those attributes that we see of goodness within men. We reason with our mind from an earthly father or an earthly man. We reason up and develop our view of God. The problem is that earthly men are variable. We can make them happy and we can make them angry. We can make them joyful and we can make them sad by the things that we do. If we reason up a version of God, then what does it make God? It makes him variable to the degree that I can make him happy or make him sad, make him angry or make him joyful. And it's simply not true. The way God designed us to understand him, and we know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in about verse 8 and 9. Who knows a man better than the spirit of a man? Who knows God better than the spirit of God? So if we're going to know him, who has to tell us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has got to reveal down truth about God or we will misunderstand him. We will misunderstand his attributes, his kindness, his love, his plans, his purpose, his goodness, his virtue. We will misunderstand it if it doesn't originate in the Holy Spirit. And then we come to that passage in John 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light in whom there is no variableness, there is no shadow of turning. He is that consistent God, is not moved by my error. He's not going to get angry at me when I do something wrong. He will instruct me, correct me, convict me, but he will not destroy me in the process. Man, we desperately, desperately need an understanding of God very different than the one that we typically have because most of the world, Christian world, has decided that God is too hard to please. He's too distant, he's too far removed, very hard to please, and too disappointed in us. When we hit that point, that's when you see people generally walk away because they don't know what else to do. I want us to come back to a reality. When we start thinking again about God, how we know him and how we understand him, I want us to come and I want us to anchor ourselves on one truth. And this one, you know, it won't be a surprise to you, but we have to come back, start over at a place built on this bedrock, which simply says, God is good. Jesus said it when they came and said, good master. He says, why do you call me good? There is none good. But my father, Jesus testified of the goodness of God. When Moses wanted to see God, God says, I can, I'll put my hand over your face and as I pass by, you can see the backside of me. He hit Moses in the cleft of the rock. And it says, God then let all of his goodness, his nature pass before him. You want to see God, you're going to see the goodness of God every single time. We have to come back to that. And that has got to resolve deep inside of us. Because our situations, our circumstances, 
our unresolved conflicts, both past conflicts and present conflicts, past pain, current pain, past disappointment and current disappointment will cause us to build a case against God. I want you to think about that for just a second. Because most of us are doing it with no awareness. Most of us are doing that, building a case against God, but we're not, it's not registering that that's what we're actually doing. But if we don't get this resolved that God is good, I guarantee that's what's going to happen. If that doesn't resolve deep inside of us, it's critical that we understand that about God. I want us to go to Numbers chapter 13 is the beginning text, and I'm going to read quite a bit. Again, a very, very familiar story. I used it about four weeks ago as a text. This morning for a little bit different purpose. I want you to think for just a second. Do I have unresolved conflicts? Do I have unresolved pain? And do I have unresolved disappointment that will cause me to build a case against God? When, and I'm, this is not the text, but when we read I think it's in the book of Mark, especially when Jesus comes down off the Mount Transfiguration and there's a man down there and he says, I, I came to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. What had just happened?
on the floor of the throne room of God if we're not going to stay there and let him bless us. Because most of us have, have somehow believed that I can come and bring my story to God, bring my brokenness to God, dump it on the floor of the throne room of God, and then walk away and say, God didn't do anything. God didn't help me. God didn't bless me. God didn't change anything. Well, I want to tell you, don't dare walk into that throne room. Lay down your story. If you're not willing to let God come and bless you, heal you, restore you, change you, transform you, it's a dangerous reality to accuse God and then turn your back and walk away. Circumstances, for every one of us this is true. Circumstances, situations bring us to our true level of faith as nothing else will. You let a tragedy happen or divorce or separation or brokenness or financial difficulties that this area is experiencing right now. I want to tell you, Every one of those things will bring us to our true level of faith. Jose is sitting on my porch last night talking about these ministries in Mexico and all the needs and all the opportunities to reach these people. Every year, Jose has not only given his vacation, but his vacation money to this ministry. And he hasn't worked in two months. Lost his job, lost his insurance, everything. But you will not hear those circumstances changing his faith in what God is sending him to do and the purpose behind him, he will not be changed by the sheer fact that he hasn't worked in two months. Circumstances will always bring us, always turn up, reveal what is our true level of faith. It's easy to be faithful when things are going well, but those circumstances will always turn up and show us what our true level of faith is. God's people standing at this point of entry have now built a case before God because things didn't unfold before them like they expected. And I don't know many of us, again, who have asked God for things and seen things in front of us, asking God, let this change, let this situation change, and we end up disappointed. That's very true, even of the congregation sitting here. Something happened and life didn't unfold quite like we expected. And we have now very privately built a case against God. Again, we don't talk about it that way. It's just found very deep in our heart. Because now when something comes up, God's not where we go. Because we're holding something against him. We don't feel the commitment. We don't feel, we don't feel the responsibility. We don't feel the privilege of, of doing and, and being active in his church. Because we've got a case against him. We've got something against him. It's just simply not true. I want to talk to you this morning very briefly, just a few points about how does this change? How do we get past this private case charge that we've made against God? Here's number one. It is absolutely critical. Can't work around this. It's absolutely critical that we get very, very honest with God. It's very rare, not very common for us to get at a gut level honesty with God. To say to God, you have disappointed me. I am frustrated. I don't understand. But again, don't go in and do that if you're not willing to stay there with open ears and an open heart and let him speak in those moments. We still try very hard to make ourselves presentable before God and we don't really want to have this gut level honesty that we have to have to get rid of this resentment or distrust 
or problem that we have with God. We don't ever quite feel like we can get that honest. We might be able to with somebody else face to face. But with God, I kind of feel like I have to keep myself a little bit back. I can't yell. I can't scream. I can't be angry. Well, I want to tell you, you can. And there's not anybody in the world who understands your scream or your anger or your cry better than God. You can get to a gut level honesty with God. And until you're willing to do that, your case against God will persist. You've got to get to a gut level honesty. Again, you can't dump your story and then walk away. Number two, when we get before God in those moments, you have to seek those areas that are unresolved. Because most of us, there's so much there and have been there so long, we don't even recognize them anymore. It's just become part of life. We don't even realize that we're disappointed with God. We don't even realize that we're frustrated with God. We don't even realize that we're bitter or angry. It has become such a part of how we have processed life and pushed it to the side that our faith and our life simply represents what I want it to represent and not even recognizing that I have adjusted my thinking about a God who loves me. We're going to have to get honest before God, but we've also got to ask him about those areas unresolved. Put yourself before him and understand what you're holding against him. If something in life has been grossly unfair, again, we begin to react in the same disappointment that we have always felt. When I was preaching on this passage before, about four weeks ago, about the Jews coming to this place at Kadesh, sending in the spies, and when the spies' report came back, one of the most awful things that were done, the most difficult things that were done, it wasn't just that they came back and said, there's giants in the land. Because that in itself would have been an obstacle to overcome. There are giants in the land. There's men of great stature. But the worst thing that they did was that they named the giants. They named them. Because when they said the sons of Anak, everybody who knew had any history, had ever heard a story about these people... All of that fear, not just the giants, but the history behind them is now standing in front of them. So the giant is no longer just a giant. The giant carries a history. I was sharing with someone in my office this week, several years ago now. It's actually been many years ago now, I guess. But I had a good friend die of a heart attack very suddenly. And that was in October. On Christmas Day that same year, just a month later, I was out at my office. I had to work on that Thanksgiving morning. And I, every symptom that I knew to have of a heart attack, I had. If I knew that somebody was supposed to have this symptom, I had it. So I, I couldn't stay at work. I drove home, told Jan. The kids were little. And it's, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So Jan called the ambulance. The ambulance came and got me and took me to the hospital. I went to Lubbock, spent the night there, and the report was, Randy, you're fine. You had a panic attack. Suddenly a giant had a name. Everybody that had ever had a panic attack that I knew of, now, now this word panic attack had a history. It no longer became a day of experience. It had the full weight of the panic attack. When I left the doors of Methodist Hospital, it was Methodist at the time, when I left those doors and walked out to my pickup, a depression hit me, and it was crippling. I came home, couldn't work, slept all the time, cried all the time unbelievably awful time of my life because when the word depression came I thought of my uncle who when he was 40 years old had a mental breakdown went into depression and never worked again 
So guess how much bigger my giant just became? And I thought of an aunt who had gone through this herself. And again, my giant got larger. Everyone that I'd ever known that had had anything to do with depression suddenly came pouring into into this giant and stood before me. And I want to tell you, it was one that I battled for years. I battled that giant named panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I battled that giant named depression. I was in the hospital. I wasn't there for me, but I was in back by the emergency room and one of my doctors walked by and he looked at me and said, Randy, what in the world's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. So I followed him to his office and he gave me a prescription. And I took it. I'm not ashamed to say I took it. It was the only thing that could make me function. I didn't have to take it very long, but for a year I carried that pill bottle in my, in my pocket because I couldn't get on an airplane without it. I couldn't get in a confined space without it. I couldn't get on an elevator if I didn't have that bottle in my pocket. I knew it wasn't going to do anything. Couldn't work that fast, but it made me have some peace because I had that bottle in my pocket because the giant had become enormous. I want to tell you, I've gotten call after call, message after message after that, after that sermon of people saying, I'd never realized I've named my giants. When that giant suddenly takes on a name, he is so much bigger. And our view of God, if we're disappointed in him, if we have a case against him, we will never believe that God that I'm holding something against is big enough to overcome this giant. So we live with the giant in front of us. We live with the giant in the land. Not able to go forward, not able to have faith, not able to believe because the God that we have a case against, we didn't even know we had a case against him, but he's not big enough anymore. He's not strong enough anymore. He's not powerful enough anymore, especially when you see the size of my giant or the giants that stand in front of me. This is the big point for today. I want you to get this. The Christian life was so designed that we never have a problem This is going to sound awful. The Christian life is so designed that we never have a problem that would last over a few days. You believe that? We were designed to never have a problem as Christians that would last more than a few days. And I would even narrow it more than that if I wanted to get real specific. I would even say that there's not a single problem that we would ever face that should last more than 24 hours. We have this strange scripture that when God says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He's saying whatever needs to be resolved between any, you, and, you and somebody else or you and me should be resolved within 24 hours. And I'd even go a step than that. If we really had, are the people that God designed us to be, there's not a single problem that we'd ever face that would last more than a couple of hours. Why, does it, why do our problems take on length? Why do they start here and then go like this? Because we don't believe God's big enough to deal with it in this moment. God's not big enough to deal with my sadness. God's not big enough to deal with my sorrow. God's not big enough to deal with my anger. He's not big enough to deal with my bitterness. So it stretches on. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend that hurt goes away that quickly. Sorrow and grief will last. But the guilt or blame or shame or anything that we feel that is not connected to those things that God has given for us to, to naturally heal and be blessed If those things are hanging around and we're saying, God, why and all those kind of things, if those last more than a few hours, then God is too small and we've got a case against him. Melissa's not in here, but I don't think she would mind me sharing this story. I won't tell anything in detail, but Melissa's going to give her testimony on Easter Sunday morning because that will be four years since she and Billy walked in here and life was in a very difficult place for them. It was very difficult when they walked in here four years ago. And and she can tell whatever details of that she would like to tell. 
But she started coming to see me four days a week. And I was always amazed at Melissa because most people can't do four days a week because they can't absorb stuff that fast. Well, Melissa was absorbing something in one day and you see it in her the next. God was changing her that fast. But about two weeks into the story, I got a call from Billy and something was going kind of a mess. It was going wrong. So Billy called me and she said, Randy, could you come to the house? There was a situation that happened two weeks into this. I sat down with Melissa on the couch and I began to talk to her and I said, this is, this is your opportunity. This is your option. You can let what's going on right now start a whole new painful chapter in your life. Or you can, in a second, let God come and heal you, restore you, deal with you. And you can start right now as if this moment had never occurred. And I'd never seen anybody do it. But she received that healing from God in that moment and never took another step down that other page. Because she was willing and was ready to believe that God could do it in an instant. I want to tell you that is rare. It was beautiful to see. But rare when you see somebody who can see something in this relationship with God and receive what God has for you in that moment. But that's the way we were designed. We were designed to be Christians. Bill Johnson's words, we were designed to be Christians who held short accounts. There should be no account unpaid or unsettled very long in the Christian life. We were designed to be Christians and believers of short accounts. But most of us, our accounts remain open for years and years and years with unresolved issues, unresolved problems, because we never put ourselves before God with the expectation that they would be resolved. A few seconds or a few hours is enough to resolve most things. The next thing, and I'll wrap it up pretty quickly. We have to stop feeding our disappointment. The illustration that I heard that was used was a guy that had a dog, and I'm not talking about cruelty to animals, but he had a dog that was just mean. And he said, every time I go in to feed the dog, it tries to bite me. See a remedy? What's the remedy? Stop feeding the dog. I don't mean that literally, but that's the picture. We have a problem. We have anger, we have bitterness, we have disappointment. It's amazing how we keep feeding it. And it remains healthy. Because I just add a layer of disappointment, a layer of frustration. I just, I just leave it and I leave it and I leave it. We keep feeding that disappointment and wonder, why won't this go away? It's because we keep feeding the brokenness. We keep feeding the pain. We keep feeding the hurt. And it won't go away. It keeps biting and it keeps biting. If we deal with accounts long open... And bitterness long formed, we will not accuse God when what we hope for doesn't happen. But here's a truth that we don't often accept or want to hear. In our great loss, the one that we're holding something against God, that account that we're holding against him, if we would have properly seen it, what we will often find, and I'm not going to say every time, but what we will often find is that's God's great opportunity for us to experience our greatest victory. I wish Rhonda was here, but she... I don't think she would, again, mind me sharing this, but she shared with us when the women preached a few weeks ago about, that, about the tragic moment when her son was in the accident, and then a few days later they had to make a decision to take him off life support. And she shared that with us. And, and no one here can imagine, unless you've been through something very similar, can quite imagine what that would be like of getting that call with that news in that experience. But when you hear Rhonda over at Grief Share, leading that Grief Share group now after this many years 
think after nine years. When you see Rhonda and you hear her, what you realize is that that tragic moment, because of what God has done, has become a place of victory that she shares with others. You see, our greatest hurt, if we will stay before the Lord, can become the open door to our greatest victory. Most of us don't stay there because the bitterness and the anger and the pain, the frustration have become so, have so penetrated our lives that we can't do anything else. I want to read one of the verse, Luke 7, 22. Then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things you've seen and heard, how that the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the, the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. See, John the Baptist didn't understand. He sent his messengers to say to Jesus, are you the one or is there someone else? Because John's expectations weren't all being fulfilled in what he saw Jesus doing. So he sent these messengers saying, I thought you were going to do something, but you didn't do it. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are not offended in me. Even when you can't tell what God's doing, even when you don't understand what you see in front of you, even though the circumstances don't make sense, Jesus said, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the child who's not offended because they know that I am good. They know God is good. And we can't move that nature in him. We may not understand and our circumstances may be difficult, but the reality is God is good. And it's time to end your case against him. It's time to bring closure to that file you have held open that's got all the stuff in it that's been held against God. It's time to close your case against God. And let him be, let him become, let him do in you, through you, and by you those things that he has such a desire to do, to set you free so that that file gets closed and burned. I had a lady come into my office one day and she was carrying some files and she wanted to show me. And I understand where she's coming from. She wanted me to understand her story. But she was carrying these files of past hurt. And I told her as, as kindly as I could, it upset her, but I told her as kindly as I could, I need for you to take those files and put them back in your car. Simply, this was the stuff she very openly did what most of us do privately. We have our file of past hurt that has now gone unresolved. And it's time to close those files. God is good. That's his nature. And I don't know what you have against him. I will tell you, I'm not sure that you can resolve that up here today. I'm not sure. I don't know if God will allow that or not. Because most of us are going to have to walk away and find that real honest, gut-level honesty with God. And that may not be able to happen right here this morning. It may, have, it may require you being alone so that you can actually stand and say before God what's on your heart. Look, God, it's what the stuff is in this file. Look at what I'm holding against you. Please explain. And He will. 
Just don't walk into the throne room, set it down, and walk away. Let him heal you in that throne room. Let him change you in his presence. Let him speak to you. Let him reassure you. Let him minister to you in that throne room. Don't walk away. Don't just lay it down and walk out. Lay it down at his feet and stand there while he heals you, changes you, and restores you, and transforms you. I don't know if that can happen up here this morning. I don't know what God has a desire to do. My prayer is that this message will be one that just stays with you and that you won't be able to get rid of. The very clear picture of this message this morning was that that you were going to have to sit with this a while and let God show you those areas that you have held against Him. But He's very faithful to do that. Lord, we thank you that we can come together and just live this story before you. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring great openness to hearts and great healing in Jesus' name. Amen.